All right. Welcome back to another episode of this wonderful, fantabulous podcast. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies, a place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, let's jump right in. So yet again, we are riding solo. Uh, this was scheduled at the last minute because apparently she decided to join Elon Musk on Mars. So she's leaving this planet. She said, I'm out. So uh, so we scheduled this at the last minute for Katie and Nick just couldn't take off. So we apologize. Uh, I, I hope you do leave the, the light on for us at that Motel 6 on, on Mars. Please do. We, we might want to join you. <laughs> so, all right. So this is the part where we let Katie introduce herself to you. Awesome. I am Katie Cross, and I love to write girl-powered, freaking awesome fantasy novels. And I, I do it for a living from my home in the middle of the Colorado, Colorado mountains currently. That's about to change to Montana. And I have two small kids, three dogs, and a husband. But I count him as a kid sometimes, so I'll say I have three. <laughs> All depends on how much laundry he's done lately. Exactly. Yeah. Among other things, and I'm a former military spouse because we got out. So it's this is such a fun podcast. I'm so excited to be here. I still think moving to Mars sounded cooler than Montana, but we could go with reality, I guess. It's greener, so, but there's probably just as much population density. I know. I was gonna say it might probably. be the same in some ways. <laughs> All right. So the second part of the introduction, dear listener and viewer now, because we're on the YouTubes, because we're we're uh, all hip and with it, as the kids say, um, how we first met them. So, know. I, I know, Seska. Well, wait, I don't know. Seska, have you ever heard of Miss Cross before? before no, I have not. So I'm super excited. And we chit chatted before this and she seems really awesome and amazing. So I'm really excited and I will be checking out her books. I'm I'm actually excited to hear your your side of this, Jr. <laughs> so I actually yeah, JR. when yeah. I first started my um, uh, writing in 2016, I had I was doing like pod or blogs before I had the podcast, which of course nobody ever read because blogs were already a dying thing back then. Now I just call it a website. But but so I was doing this thing. I was trying to make myself stand out. So I said we're going to do the Warrior Weekend interview. So I was going to interview a bunch of. Um, former military that had turned writers and someone said hey why don't you talk to katie cross Her, she was married to the army and it's basically the same thing <laughs> and so we reached out and you know we we actually interviewed you and it was, went on the website and i just sort of stayed in touch and then when my mom read my interview she um she bought some of your books from from that interview and so when we switched over um after our last co-host had to take a real life get a real job kind of break from writing we decided, well, it's a perfect time to transition to fantasy and sci-fi because Seska is the fantasy literature track director for Dragon Con. It's a small little convention. Some of you might, listening might have heard of it. Um, and <laughs> and so- JR, uh, your math skills still need work. A couple thousand, right? I mean, how big can it be? Um, thousand plus people. Almost I don't have that many fingers and toes. Don't go there. So- <laughs> There's a reason I was in the infantry, but you don't so, have that many rounds of ammo either. How do you know? Because I know you. <laughs> so my mom, when 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 uh, we started doing the fantasy, and I said, "Well, we're we're trying to not just do like the action thrillers. We're trying to broaden our base." And she's like, "Well, if you're going to do fantasy romance, that Katie girl you interviewed, her books are really good." So here we are, and I reached out. I was expecting to schedule you 
next month or the month after because we we try to book in advance so everybody can plan around schedules. And you're like, yeah, I'm getting ready to move. How's Thursday? <laughs> so here we are. <laughs> that sounds like me. Yeah, I'm super efficient that way. So when I found out that your mom, when you messaged me that your mom read my books, I was like, I'm so honored. <laughs> like, there's something about moms reading and loving my books that just really hits me in the feels. So tell your mom, thank you. <laughs> my mom is what you would call a whale reader. She can read a book a day. Oh, I don't, yeah. My mind just doesn't work that fast. Well, it's, but, funny. it's funny that she, she thought of my book says like fantasy romance. Cause I would never have ever categorized that, but I guess like, I guess I could see it, but I was like, Oh, that's surprising. Um, she, I guess some of your series are even listed that way on Amazon. So that might be why, because when we were, weird. They, they get weird sometimes. I know when we were looking through the ones we were going to talk about today, we saw some that were definitely just modern romance. And we're like, sounds interesting. Cause coffee is awesome, but it uh, doesn't fit. So that's how we picked. Um, <laughs> But, but everybody that knows Tesco will understand the series we picked when we get there. But yeah, so I found found you through the 20 Books group when I was looking for veterans in the writing community. And then when we converted over to do fantasy, my mom was like, you have to interview her. I'm like, yes, ma'am. Yeah, no, he he. this is how he pitched doing it. Do you want to talk about dragons? Yes, yes, I do want to talk about dragons. <laughs> you mentioned that. And... Um, but I think it, I think it's because as a mom, you understand how precious little time moms have. So it's that we took the time to read your book and we liked it and we kept reading. So it really, you know how much that means because mm -hmm. you have so no so much time, I'm sure. Oh yeah, it's ample. <laughs> and my mom is a lot nicer to other authors than she is when she reads my stuff. That's because she's your mom. And she is the reason I could never write a romance novel. She's my first line reader. And so in my first series, I wrote a um, intimate scene between characters because I needed to set up that he had <laughs> offspring. And Siska's heard the story. She's laughs every time that he had offspring because when you have uh, not don't have faster than light travel, you have cryo freezes and time gets wonky. So you could meet your twin brother who's like 40 years older than you. So oh, I wanted okay. to set something up like where he had kids. And uh, that scene, my mom sent it back. like, I don't know what you and your wife are doing, but you need to go back and practice and then rewrite this scene. <laughs> So that's when I was like, yep, not doing it. Not <laughs> doing it. <laughs> you just, wow. like scene removed in capital. Yeah, I, I, it got a lot shorter, that scene. A lot more partner, And I'll just write all the all of those scenes. And when he his mom comes back and says that, go, uh-uh, talk to Seska. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the Seska thing. That's not even that might that might be something we have to well see, but then you know emotions and feelings, and I have I'm a shrink, so I don't have to deal with that. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I have those days too. I'm like, no, I dealt with emotions all day. I don't want to deal with it in my book. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Saska, you get to ask your favorite question. I some do. Speaking of uh, feelings and emotions, because there are some feelings and emotions in these Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly. Oh, I'm ready for this. Because I've, I've listened to other podcasts. And I will say Star Trek, but the Jean-Luc Picard years. Yeah, The next generation. Okay. Yeah. That's that's my my love between those three. And then uh, Harry Potter, Game of Thrones, or Lord of the Rings? I have to go to Lord of the Rings here, even though I think most of my readers would expect me to pick Potter because my books are so similar which is part of the reason I don't choose Potter <laughs> because like it's the same sort of reading crowd, but I have such fond memories of diving into Lord of the Rings for the first time. I feel like those books really started opening my eyes to fantasy. So that 
And I, I do love Daenerys and the dragons, though. So, it's yeah. The, but there's a level of nostalgia that just mm-hmm. can't really be um, beat. Talk about feelings, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, which one call you before this? Is he like trying to plan some sort of psyops game on me again? Who? My shrink getting her talking about feelings and stuff. <laughs> I don't know. I think you might be reading into it. That might be your paranoia hit acting up again. Uh, okay. Okay. But which one was your first love? Sci-fi or fantasy? Definitely fantasy. Yeah. Dragons, fantasy. I didn't really develop a love for sci-fi until my more adult years. I, I will always remember reading Dune for the first time. And then there's one other sci-fi author, G.S. Jensen. I follow her religiously and I buy and read all of her books. But for the most part, I'm pretty stuck in fantasy. I can get that. So what is it about dragons that, that you really like? What is not to like? <laughs> so, yeah. Really, the question is on you. <laughs> I think What's your problem, JR? I've, okay. I've analyzed this a lot, actually. Like, why do we love dragons? And I've talked to my readers about it a lot. And it almost always comes down to power and relationship or connection. There's just something about your bestie being a dragon. You can't get over that, right? No. And they are always good. They never have traffic. Right. It's true, but I always think I always think of like dragons because they're lizard-like as sort of less than emotional. So if I think of like magical creatures, I'm like, you know, a werewolf. There, a I got some books you should read. <laughs> Just okay, saying. maybe we can expand my horizons with with books and stuff. But we can so go for classic literature or modern literature. Which one do you want? We'll we'll talk offline. But so like for me, I always think of like you know the fur fur creatures as the ones that are you know more. Emotive and yeah, so I don't know. That's probably where I would go. That's fair. I mean, I have three dogs, so I, I kind of get what, what you're going with there. But my dogs don't breathe fire, so like, and not That's all my dragons know breathe fire, but the the whole flight. I don't know. I think there's something in the power thing, but yeah, scales aren't super cuddly. I think also that dragons are just so universal. Like they're cross culturally. Cultural. I was gonna say, like, if you look back through history, like dragons are represented in so many different cultures in different ways, which is really fun. Yeah, I had a friend who tried drunkenly making the argument that that meant dragons had to have been real at some point. Okay. They were drunk. It was a convention. It was two a.m. No judgment. No judgment. No judgment. So, 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 what is it that you love about fantasy as a genre? Um, I love the idea that anything is possible like through magic, but I then love to challenge the idea that we need magic to make anything possible, right? So it is fun to like have spells and incantations that do my dishes, which is absolutely what my magic would be doing is my dishes and cleaning my house. But at the same time, in in within that world of magic, I like to challenge the idea of, yeah, magic makes anything happen, but actually we, like we hold the magic. So we actually make those things happen. And I think that's like a fun kind of dichotomy to explore. So what was your first memory of fantasy as a genre? Was it, was there a game? Was it reading Lord of the Rings? What do you think was the, what do you remember as your first experience with fantasy? You know, I think it was the book, The Last Unicorn. Yeah, um, he, got the, he got the rights back to the book now. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. it just happened like, two weeks ago oh that's amazing i just remember i was totally that like i think so many so many people listening to this are gonna understand i was that kid that just escaped in the books right like 
whatever was going on in my life, good or bad. I was in a book all the time. And I remember staying up late with a flashlight in my bed. Yes. I finished The Last Unicorn. And I, I loved, oh, I just loved that book so much. And I, again, I think I loved that idea of anything being possible. And so I just kind of, I read everything, but it was always the fantasy that I was drawn to. When I wrote my first fantasy series, I wasn't heavily reading fantasy, but it's like my subconscious just took me right there. It's pretty cool. So kids these days, and I know this people also how it always starts with shaking your fist at the sky and get off my lawn, but like they don't understand like the, with the paperback book and a flashlight that's getting hot in the crook of your neck as you're trying to hide under the covers, dying from like heat stroke in a southern summer because you want to know how that dang book ends. Now they oh, got the backlit table. And you're so engrossed in the book. And so some your your parents like sneak up on you and you're like oh, yeah. and you're all in trouble. Oh I, no. No, no. My best friend finally told my mom one time, oh, if you really want to punish her, just take away her books. That's evil. Uh, I, I don't know if I could. I did not have a very good reaction when he let slip that he was the one who told my mother that. He he did not have a black eye. But he was a little sore. Later. I actually, I put my son to bed early sometimes. And then I say, pick three books. You can take him to bed with you. And he has a headlamp. And so he wears oh, the headlamp and so he knows in bed at night. So, but also I want him to just have that bond with books. So I'm like, yeah. you can't have toys, but you can have books with you in bed to use with your flashlight. Cause I just want him to form like that immediate instinctive kind of attachment to books. So I, I have created that for my son, but Outstanding. Like, once he gets older, I don't know that he'll still do it anymore. It depends on, you know, what he has and what the world looks like, but at least he'll have the early memories. Cause it's so yeah. I remember thinking whoever invented the light that clips onto your book was a freaking genius because I didn't have that big honking like flashlight in the crook of your neck anymore. And yeah. I wish I'd had a mag light then that you can like take the top oh, off. See, you guys are like spoiled because uh, my mom like gathered up all the flashlights. So I didn't have a flashlight. I had to stuff uh, like a blanket at the bottom of my door, which is why I finally learned <laughs> to see my door closed. Was because that way they, if I slept with it closed always, they wouldn't know that I was cheating and not sleeping. And, uh, and then like shove stuff underneath so that no, none of the lights seeped out. So my mom would try to take the flashlights, but she never got all of them. See? Okay. You learn enough. See, I lost them. I found like flashlights for years after I finally. <laughs> all right. So. Um, <laughs> How did your love of reading um, all these great books and, and hiding under blankets, sweating your uh, backside off in, in the summer, how did that transition into you writing novels in it? I mean, it created the instinct to always find story, right? So I think I just got used to constantly seeking and hiding in stories. So by the time I was in first grade, I would get these journals and I would just like write these stories out. I remember like writing stories out like that oh this is like happening in first grade I'd give a story that happened on the playground and I'd write it out so I think to me I just created like an escape plan into into story it wasn't just books it was story and so I just was constantly coming up with story ideas and then as I grew older and I like had computer access and could type you know I would write more and even in high school my best friend Brianna actually told me one day when I like first announced I was publishing she's like I'm not that surprised you were always writing but I was like I always hit it from everyone like for some reason it was like 
mine. I didn't want anybody to know I wrote. It was very special. So like Brianna come over, I just turned the computer screen off and just leave it. And I wouldn't let her see what I was doing and no one read my stuff. So I didn't know that she knew what I was doing. So I thought, oh, of course she did. Like obviously wasn't that smart about it, but I just always leaned on it. So when I eventually ended up making it a career, it just, it felt so natural because I was always finding that escape and story, I think. So when, uh, given that was your feeling as a kid with how, you, with your writing and keeping it to yourself, do you still get a little squiggy about uh, knowing your friends are actually going to read it because you know them? Not really. Like I've launched so many books at this point that I'm just like, just like, I'm already on to the next book. Let that one go. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I still like to get feedback to see like, you know, I might launch a like book with a slightly different main character to see what my reader response is because my readers tend to have a, a specific track that they really like to read, but I like to challenge that track. So I'll listen to feedback then. But for the most part, I worked over that hurdle and I've just moved on. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah. Um, so many authors let their own real life experiences influences the stories they tell. So were there any specific formidable moments that really sort of shaped you as a storyteller? Um, probably so many of them, right? But the one that sticks out the most is actually my experience as a military spouse shaped my first novel. And I didn't realize it at the time. So my husband, uh, I always say I was born into the army life, like at, at Fort Campbell in Clarksville. He was at 101st. He'd just gotten off a year in Afghanistan um, <clears throat> when we met and we got married and it was all kind of fast. So I like started there and, and that was fine. But I, everyone's like, well, he's going to be gone for your birthday and for anniversaries and you'll have to spend a lot of time apart. And I was like, I got this. Like I'm an independent woman. Like that's fine. Like as long as he doesn't do anything stupid, crazy and die, then we'll figure it out. And, but then I like got into the military life and no one had told me that my career was going to bomb. I was a nurse. Like I was a charge nurse, a pediatric nurse. And my career was swept out from under me because there was nowhere for me to work because we were moving so much. So he was in 101st as a first lieutenant, and then he got into the Special Forces pipeline um, after selection. So we ended up moving a bunch as he did just a bunch of different training. And I was writing my first book as he was finishing up selection, and I was kind of putting it into the world. And later I looked back and I realized I was trying to process what could happen like what my life would be like as a military spouse to a green beret and what could happen in our life through the way I shaped that story. Cause my main character, Bianca has a father named Derek that is a protector, which is like the elite guardians of, of her network where she lives. He's gone a lot. She doesn't always know where he is. Um, he's sometimes injured and he tries to be a really good dad from afar. And her mom is constantly like alone but loves them anyway, you know? So was, I looked back and realized, oh my gosh, like I was just trying to figure my stuff out by writing this book. It's like, I don't know if I would have written the same book if I wasn't married to my husband, which is so interesting to me. Now, was that the Miss Mabel's story? Yeah, yeah, that's Miss Mabel's. So that was my first series. And then the Dragon Master trilogy that, that your mom read um, came after that, but happens before it. <laughs> it's a little start. So it's a prequel trilogy. Sort of, yeah. I mean, it depends on how you look at it. Okay. <laughs> so now, do you still tell people to go in th into your worlds through Miss Mabel, or do you are they all independent at this point? I've asked readers that have read all of them, and 
in general, they say they like it better chronologically, but I keep writing books that happened before all these other ones. So, so I don't know. Like how that just, you're modeling after Mercedes Lackey. She did the same thing. Absolutely. Arrows of the Queen happened in what would nominally be called present day Valdemar. Mm -hmm. But then, and that was her first novel. And then she wrote all these other ones way before that. And then all these ones. And now she's even writing pre uh, the Collegium novels, which are somewhere in between. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it is sort of hodgepodge, but like in ten years, no one's going to care because they're just going to read straight through. So I'm good with it. <laughs> so you mentioned obviously that you were married to the military and how that affected your first novel. So how do you feel like your time affiliated with with the armed forces affects the stories you tell instead of just that first one, just in general sense? Yeah, I mean, I tend to always have some sort of like military esque not necessarily feel to the book, but there's like strategy or battle or some sort of movement. I mean, there's so many times where I've like texted my husband and I'm like, can you help me plan a war tonight? Or like, yes, this is so cool. Yeah. Well, he's like, he, he helps with it, but I, he's just so used to it now. I don't think he thinks of it, but one time he was on, he was on like a deployment and I had this deadline coming up and I really needed help with this battle scene. And so I actually like Facebook messaged, I think one of his, like the sergeants that he'd worked with. And I was like, Hey, so, so Jordan's gone. I really need help with like this battle scene. And Rooney's like, hell yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> so <laughs> over Facebook, like one of, one of Jordan's like, I can't remember if he's a sergeant, what he was, but he like helped me plan out this like war scene. It was pretty cool. Um, I think there's always some element of like strategy and, and that sort of stuff that kind of comes into it that I think being a military spouse brings about. But more than that, I think I am really focused on like girl power fantasy is what I call it, where the women like are, are handling business. Not that the men are involved or, or no, whatever, just I, I mean, I've been both a, a soldier and, and as well as a military spouse and it. It is, it's different, but it's a certain level of you have to be tough and you have to do, do the shit. You have to figure it out. Right? Yeah. Like, I feel like that was just always the, the lesson that I really got from being a military spouse is, well, figure it out. Like, like you, it, who's going <laughs> to save you? You know, like they're gone. You Like I would have times where I didn't hear from my husband for like three weeks. And, so and you have to kind of respect that because there's a reason why and you can't really distract them. Like you have to figure it out mm -hmm. and reliably because they are busy doing things that if they get distracted can cost lives. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, well, sometimes I think the hard part was you have to figure it out and then maybe talk about it way, way later. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, like, I, oh, I can't imagine. Happened wasn't a big deal. I just thought I'd tell you later. So you weren't worried about it. You know? Oh no, no. I, I had one time had that and they were, why didn't you tell me? I forgot. <laughs> I, I mean, I really had forgotten that it was ever had been an issue. Thing, <laughs> like, yeah. I forgot. I thought it. So I don't, I don't imagine that the shrinking violet type, though, those marriages last very long when, when you're at a high deployment tempo. Uh, maybe back in the peacetime in the eighties when it was just the cold war and, you know, and you were in the right unit, maybe that could have worked, but yeah, yeah, I don't see that lasting in the modern era. So do you ever draw on people you knew either through the family readiness groups 
or through um, actual service members that were affiliated with your your husband's units when you write? Um, my husband, I, I tend to draw from him just because I'm crazy about him. But I actually, like, we decided that I wouldn't be involved in the FRG or actually really in his team. By the time we made it to Team Life, um, it with where we were staying, it was just better if I didn't make friends with the wives. Um, and then I didn't put him in awkward positions. So, like, for the wives to approach him about their husbands on deployment. So... We are, I actually didn't really interact with the FRG at all. We had like friends in our neighborhood that were obviously like in the military and, and we were close with them. But I would say the really only person I can think of that I probably drew from our military was just a, one of my friends. She was a, she was a, a team spouse also on, on a different, her husband wasn't working directly with my husband, but she was actually my villain, but not because she like... <laughs> Not because she's a bad person. She's like one of the best people I've ever met. But she just looked like how I wanted my villain to look because she's beautiful, like just this beautiful, amazing, confident woman. And I was like, that is my bad guy. And so I told her about it like years after I published the book. And she was like, that's sister. She thought it was the funniest thing ever. Other than that, I haven't really like pulled much because we didn't, we never lived on post. Like we, we really tried to create a life outside of the military bubble to have a separation kind of. Okay. So we talked about how, you know, how the military life affected the stories you write, but does it affect like that experience shape the kind of stories you like to read now? I think so. I think so. Just because I saw a total different side to the world. And so I, I'm way more inclined to pick up like faster action, like thriller kind of stuff on some days where he, like my husband and I can like discuss it or, you know, like that kind of stuff. Um, but I read so widely that I wouldn't say it pushed me into a new a new thing I never had before. I think I just love it all. I think most people that end up being writers tend to be very widely read. Hopefully, yeah. I, I don't I don't know that most well not to say that most readers. I know a lot of readers are very uh, loyal to the genres they like. Mm. Um, whereas I know a lot of the people that that are actually producing those books they like read everything and anything. But I think that's because good authors need a variety of tools in their box and things going on but transferring from you mentioned fans so um i i disagree with jr a little bit on that but that's fine i think that's a modern marketing technique that people are using and and convince themselves work but have you had any crazy fan interactions like what's your funniest fan interaction i was doing a book signing in denver and this like seven-year-old girl came up to me her parents had seen my announcement and brought brought her and her like 10 year old sister and she's carrying miss mabel school for girls and she walks up to me and she goes so miss mabel is my villain she goes miss mabel is vile and just like hands me the book and i was like <laughs> did she just say vile and i like looked at her dad and he just was like kind of embarrassed and like shrug and i'm like way to go dad i can't believe it. i was like how old is she like she's so little she's like seven she'd read my book and she's like miss mabel miss she just like hands me the book and i was so impressed i was like whatever you're doing keep doing it dad she's awesome <laughs> that is great I, know. I thought that was so fun that was probably my favorite fan interaction i've had so have you gotten any cosplays or cool fan art yeah, I get fan art pretty often. Um, That's I've had awesome. some cosplays 
not not very much like every now and then people send me pictures I've had um one guy started doing some fan fiction I had I've had people like send an art I had another friend that was an author that just loves graphic design he started doing like 3d pictures of my people so over the years like it'll come in and we'll just kind of share it on social media if we have permission that's, that's awesome really crazy yeah has anyone away from book signings or conventions uh, asked for your autograph out in public and been like, oh my gosh, it's you? No, not yet. I, I told my husband that I have to, my my goal, and it's awful now with COVID, my goal is to be walking through an airport one day and like just see someone reading one of my books, like an airport or on an airplane. And then I just want to talk to them about it without them knowing who I am. Like, that seems to be the goal of many an author. Uh, Larry Korea and Robert Ross have both said they deliberately insult themselves to see what the, the reader will say. So the reader has to defend them to them? <laughs> like, they're such a backward way to fish for compliments. <laughs> well, see, nowadays with everyone reading so much digitally, it's like you almost have to kind of get all up in their business to see what they're reading anyway. Yeah, that's which... never going to happen in this post-COVID world or COVID world. Um, because I, well, I, did have, I did have one girl like approach me at church one day, like I was at church and I was getting up to leave and she's like, Oh my gosh, I've read all your books. I love them so much. And she's like, tell me all about them. And I was like, hi, like, <laughs> met her. She ended up, she was like the sister of a friend. And, but I don't, I don't, I don't know if she knew that like we were at church together. Anyway, it was, that was pretty funny. I don't now, think she knew she was at a trip. Well, it's just like, I, I think. My friend recommended my books to her, but did, she didn't know that, like, she knew me. You know, she's oh. really good book. So she told her, she's her sister-in-law, and so she's in law and was sharing it with everyone else. And then she saw me at church, and she's like, you got a church with her? Like, I think she was just really, she didn't know there was a connection. Your dog's having fun. Yeah, sorry, just a thing. <laughs> I think genre is a thing, and you are wrong. So now that she's back, we can go and back. Genre to is a thing. Subgenres and sub subgenres are um, a little ridiculous. All right, we'll continue so this on that our is the OCD marketing and special flowerness. Um, but sorry, Jair wanted to pick a fight. Um, so uh, tell us everything you have written, or the highlights of what you want to tell us. Yeah. So I mean, this is a fantasy focus podcast will start there but I have some other stuff so I have the network series is for four or five books that that's the series that started it all then the dragon master trilogy comes before that chronologically but I wrote it after and then I just launched in March the historical collection which is my third fantasy series and that's a whole bunch of standalone novels that take place at like different times in my world so like 500 years before the network series just after just before so it'll it's people that I've mentioned in the course of my books. And then I just do a standalone novel on them. And then I have a like chick lit series that has nothing to do with fantasy. That was kind of an accident that has five books. And then I just started a, a new romance series last year. That's, that's sort of taking off. So I have five series right now. <laughs> just so when, when we talk uh, marketing, when I talk with other authors, she's always one of the examples I give. So she wrote a character that was a chef. So she she paired with a chef for a marketing thing to have them write a cookbook that's co-written by her character. Like that that level of guerrilla marketing is genius. So, so I wish I thought like, of it. It's my chiclet series, and it's all based on like food. Basically, oh. a lot of it is 
is women and their relationship with themselves or their or food, like food comes into that. So I had a friend that was a food blogger. And I was like, would you want to do like a cookbook? And we'll just center it around my series. So I'll pay for all the production. And she's like, yes. So we just made this cookbook together. It was really fun. Well, see, JR, the problem with that kind of marketing scheme is you can't cook. Well, I didn't say it'd be cookbook exactly, but the idea was kind of doing So, anyway. All right. So, it's okay. So, while those all sound fascinating, as we mentioned, Seska loves dragons, so, and, and my mom liked Dragon Master, so that's what we're going to talk about, specifically book one, Flame. So, where did you get the premise uh, for this universe? How did you come up with the idea? Was it psychedelics, Ouija board? Did you climb too high in those gorgeous Colorado mountain ranges? And like yes. air get too low for you? It's definitely the high altitude here. We're at like 7,500 feet. So I get, I don't need psychedelics. Um, you know, because it piggybacks a little bit off the network series, I had somewhat of the setting, but actually it really takes place away from the network series. It's the same like geographic location, but it takes place deep in my magical forest, which is called Leadham Wood. And then throughout. So it's, it felt like I was creating a new universe and I just love living in the mountains. Like we are extremely active outdoor people. We hike every day cause we have three really high energy dogs. And so we take them in the national forest and we just go off trail and we'll just walk for like an hour and a half and make it back. So well, we're just mountain people and really active. So I created Leadham Wood because it's the forest that I want. Like it has bigger than the redwoods trees like it has dragons it has everything you can imagine which maybe wouldn't be so fun if you can't do magic um so i based the dragon master trilogy out of there because i really wanted to focus my forest dragons specifically in this in this lead wood so I, I i put them there also because it's a world that's rife with conflict right when you have a forest that magical and there are terrible creatures there then anything could happen so it made it almost simple to kind of stage it okay so now you just need a magical uh um oh what's that guy with the print robin hood there we go yeah. that would be kind of cool in that setting that's what i was picturing yeah, a different kind of sherwood forest <laughs> yeah like living up in the trees like in the movie yeah all right so uh before we dig in to talk about the novel itself let's talk about the art that you chose so i'm going to share that cover mm. uh, i'm going to have that prepped so how did you come up with the design for this? Because this is not when you think romance or even fantasy, what I, I think of as a cover. You went very No, there's simple. some fantasy novels that do covers very much like that because it kind of looks like a grimoire. So, yeah, that's exactly it. So, I mean, there is an element of romance in this series. It takes three books to fully flesh out. And there's only one romance. So... I definitely wasn't going to do any production around a romantic theme because it's not like a main point of the book. It's more of an action adventure fantasy, but the whole goal of all, cause all my book covers have some sort of look just like this for my fantasy. And the whole thing is I wanted it to look like an old magical book. So none of that is me. That is all my graphic designer, Jenny Zamanik. She runs seedlings um, design online or seedlings online. Um, that is all her at this point, she and I have done probably like 50 book covers together. So at this point, I just tell her, here's the title. Let's try this color. This is what it's about. And she just comes up with stuff and then I review it and, and she pretty much nails that out. So I think for this one, I told her, Hey, let's keep tones of green. 
I want the title banner is what we call it, where it says the Dragon Master Trilogy in Flame. I said it's dragons in the forest. She normally does a texture on the back. You can see the leaves. On Miss yeah. Mabel's Paper Girls, it's like, it looks like kind of like leather. Um, and the High Priestess that we just did, it looks like cloth. So she'll have a texture in the background and then just use these kind of bright colors to pull the stuff out. So I can't, I can't claim any of that genius. That's just Jenny. <laughs> Well, this must be where my colorblindness gets in the way. I don't see any leaves. But anyway, well, it's a pretty cover. And so now we know the story. And I will link to the Seedlings uh, website. So if you like that work, you can you can reach out and, and tell her how awesome she is. Um, so what would be the 30-second elevator speech of this novel? So in Angui, in Leadhamwood, dragons are the rulers and the witches are the servants until two sisters decide to topple the status quo. Very succinct. I dig it. You kept it under 30 seconds. I am most <laughs> impressed. I have All to right. practice those sometimes though. <laughs> that one I just came up with, but I have to usually practice them. It did it not feel like it was a seat of the pants type thing. So oh, you good. did a good job. It totally was. <laughs> you totally pulled it off. You nailed it. Thank so you. next time you do it though, you got to practice and see if you can deepen your voice and do it in the movie trailer voice, which I obviously can't do either. No, but, no. Uh, that's why we have Nick. He does it in the movie trailer voice. Yeah, he, he does the voices for us. Maybe because he hears the voices. I don't know. So <laughs> It's all the sugar he eats. Yeah, it's a running joke since he's a, a ice officer that he, he lives on donuts. Oh, um, yeah. There you go. So, so what is it that makes this series special? I think it's not just, I mean, for any dragon series, you need that deep connection between dragon writer and dragon, right? I think to really drive that home to the readers that want their dragons a specific way. Uh, Sana is my character that, that bonds deeply with her dragon Ludius. That, that is really one of the, the strongest characteristics. They go for, it's, it's like enemies to lovers romance almost where Sana and Ludius meet and they sort of hate each other and then they, they kind of grow together and, and, and become really connected as dragon writer and dragon. And then uh, so much of it is just turning upside down this idea that humans have some power over these massive creatures, right? Like, humans are in charge just because they ride them. I, I didn't, I wanted to sort of switch that dynamic around and say, well, what if the dragons were sort of the taskmasters and, and the witches served the dragons until like they found a way to be equal again? And I, I think that's a very different approach. I haven't seen much. So what tropes do you think you really hit on particularly? And did you use like the dragons have long lives trope? It depends on what you consider a long life. Like, I, my dragons average 150 to 200 years. Well, that's longer than JR is going to make. <laughs> Hopefully, it's longer than me. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. I, I think really the the dragon rider dragon connection was a big trope. The the dragons live longer than like the humans is another one. Um, I don't, I don't say necessarily like treasure, like dragons aren't, aren't seeking treasure in my world, but they do, they are drawn to power. So when they sense magical power in a witch, they're, they're drawn to that witch more and they don't hoard anything, but they, they intensely dislike witches unless you're sort of in, um, they have a, a natural sort of distrust for witches and then, you know, breathing fire and they're really hot, that kind of stuff. My dragons are all black, so they all have black scales, but then they have marbled color running through it in different designs because I wanted it to be a little different that way. So they were 
they could kind of fade into the forest if they needed to because of their color, but they could be distinguished by the marbled color. Mm -hmm. Cool. So JR loves to have me ask, what subgenres do you think your book fits into? Because <laughs> you love subgenres. I <laughs> love so them. Glossy. Um, I mean, I think fantasy, like adventure, action, adventure, um, dragons. I feel like that maybe that's a subgenre. I don't know like what you categorize as genre. Versus I don't know. Genre. I don't spend that much time shopping for books on Amazon. <laughs> yeah. She's I a mean, Barnes and Noble girl. I am. You could certainly say that there's like a romantic element, a subgenre in it, because there is a, a slow burn romance through the three books. Um, mostly it's, it's just focused on that sort of medieval world, high fantasy-esque kind of thing, I guess. Okay. So on to the story itself. Can you tell us a bit about the main character and what makes that main character so unique and special? Yeah, so there are two. So Sana and Isadora are called sister witches, which is basically just another phrase for twins. And they grew up basically in a commune uh, where the dragons were their leaders and they existed solely to serve the dragons as servants. And Isadora starts having headaches that they can't take care of. She's never wanted to serve the dragons she really thinks they're nasty scaly lizards and she wants out like they've never been away from their small village in the forest so they've never really left and Isadora wants out but Sana's drinking the Kool-Aid so to speak so Sana she wants the best dragon to train her to be a good servant like she wants to be the dragon master which is what her her dade which is her her father basically her date is the the high dragon master that communicates with the dragons through touch so sana wants to be the dragon master and isadora wants out and then there's this big event that happens that forces them onto different paths okay so a lot of fantasy novels draw from a lot of european culture did you did you go that route for the universe when you built it or did you mix up all of the different sort of global or did you create something entirely new so I tried to tried to create something new while drawing on different influences. So in my world, instead of like con like not it's one continent is Alcara, and then instead of countries, they're called networks. So the central network is probably a little more European esque, but the southern network is is more influenced by like a Slavic culture. The eastern network is more of like a Mediterranean. The western network is is a desert. And the Northern Network is like a mountainous Tibetan kind of world. So I tried to pull from everywhere, but not focus that, right? So I have like the silk trade that grows through magic in the Southern Network, which is like Antarctica. You know, so I tried to like pull different themes and different ideas from different parts of our world and, and create something new. That's really cool. So, um, so we've talked about the world kind of as its own unique character, but how about any secondary characters that kind of stand out as you really need to check this one out? Uh, the dragons, right? I mean, I hate to say that they're secondary characters because they're sort of the main characters also, but they're, I think the funnest part of the Dragon Master trilogy is, is how the dragon, the dragons lay out and the effects they have on the world because you see both forest dragons and mountain dragons and desert dragons and how they all come together after never having known each other before. So watching different races of dragons come together is really fun. 
Now did like where the mountain dragon's gray because the blending in there versus like a tan color for the desert and stuff. Yeah, so the mountain dragons are, are more of a grayish kind of rock so that they can blend in. The forest dragons are that dark so they can blend in. The sea dragons are pretty much snakes, just ginormous snakes. And then the desert dragons have more of a like an earthy feel. And then all of them, but the desert dragons have some magical ability. So like the mountain dragons can transport from one place to another. The forest dragons can communicate. Um, and they can, the forest dragons can do dragons if their dragon rider is, is like sort of the channel for it. Cool. So, um, do you have any bad guys? Any bad guys? Yeah. Oh yeah. So many. <laughs> I'd be like a super boring series without them. So in the, in flame, the bad guy is the dragon that that's like keeping them, keeping basically the dragon riders oppressed in order to remain in control his name is talus and then as the as the trilogy goes on there's bigger bads that kind of you, you start small and then there's bigger bads that kind of grow out to this big kind of world conflict in the third book Very okay cool. that sounds interesting so we know that as authors we do horrible nasty dirty rotten things to our characters because it makes a good story because if i woke up and nothing went wrong it's kind of a boring story so yeah. If your characters met you in a dark alley one night, how badly would this go for you? <laughs> uh, you know, it depends on the character. Sana would probably attack me with her dragon for sure. Um, Isadora, she has a little more perspective. I think she'd be upset about a few things, but she she figured out in the end. Bianca is the one that I would probably fear the most, but she's the most like me, so maybe that's why. <laughs> Okay, so now this we're going to ask a little bit of uh, looking behind the curtain of how the sausage is made. Were there any super cool scenes or elements of the story that were cut that maybe you'll use later or that you thought were cool, but for whatever reason just didn't fit the story? Yeah, so there are tons of those, and I've turned them into books of short stories that readers can buy. So Oh, that's I awesome. Yeah, so I, I just repurposed all this content. One year when I was first writing Miss Mabel's, NaNoWriMo came up and I'd never done it before because I, you know, I was just kind of starting into this. And for NaNoWriMo, I just wrote all the backstories of all my secondary characters away from Bianca. And then I wrote out portions of Bianca's life. So I kind of knew in my head how they went down before I launched the book. And I ended up getting so much feedback from readers on the characters that they love that I just launched awesome. different collections of short stories at different times with those short stories in it for, for readers to leave. And it's still something that they love having now. I have a friend who just realized she started to write a book and then she's like, I actually have the short story. I have to finish writing first because uh, things in that affect this. Oops. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've, and I, sometimes I just do it like to keep up. It's more of a marketing tactic almost than anything. I mean, I want my readers to have more of the stories that they love, but you know, if I had to push off a launch and I have more months than I wanted between uh, launches, then I'll, I'll push a short story out just to kind of give them something to read and stay top of mind. Or I did a short story as a Black Friday only deal to my readers for 99 cents. Because um, I, I sell through my own store online. Mm -hmm. And so I can, I can pivot super fast. I don't have to pull on and off from Amazon if I want to do that stuff. So they, they're fun to write. They're fun for the readers to have. And they're like a really interesting marketing strategy. Okay, so the um, Flame is clearly part of a series, the Dragon Master Trilogy. I know because it says so on Amazon. Uh, and I, 
trilogy, like the name implies, is three books. But yeah. is their story done? Could there be more from these characters? Could you scratch out trilogy and write quadrilogy or more? Uh, definitely. So one of the biggest things I've heard, I launched the final book in the Dragon Master trilogy last year. It was called Freedom. And the probably the biggest thing I've been hearing from readers is to bridge the gap. So we have the network series that I started with and then the Dragon Master trilogy. And there's about a hundred years in between the two before they like before the network series actually happens chronologically. And I've had a ton of people say they just want to bridge with the struggles of Sana and Isadora after the end of the Dragon Master trilogy. So I have this book that will be part of the historical collection that's called The Advocate that really based on requests from readers, I've decided to write and that will kind of help pull them back into that same world with, with a new storyline and something different. So I'm excited about that. So you have three series right now and a bunch of short content in the same universe. So how do you keep track of all that? I hired a, a VA and I named her my title manager and I created standard operating procedures for her to help me manage my titles across all of the retailers. So I have my Shopify store that's katiecrossbooks.com and then we have Amazon, Kobo, draft to digital Google Play, Ingram Spark, and then all the audiobook stuff like Findaway Voices and ACX and, you know, um, FM, like Transistor.FM and Book Funnel. You know, there's all of those ones. So I've trained uh, McKenna's her name. I've trained McKenna to manage my titles. And there's like a certain checklist she has every week or month. Or when I finish writing a book, we have a production that it then goes into. And McKenna kind of helps me manage the steps in that production. I taught her how to use Vellum. You know, so I, I have someone else that manages the production side of that so I can just keep writing. No, I, I actually, awesome. I, it's awesome. We should all get there one day. But no, I was actually asking more for like the 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 universe is expansive. It sounds like there's several oh, epochs and eras, and and so like, do you have like a universe bible? Do you just keep it all in your head? Um, so I'm not like a super detail oriented person unless I'm in a novel, and then I like to check details. Otherwise, they kind of tire me. So I wish that I had created like universe bible that I could like consult and like build up all the time. I haven't. So I have two guys that are part of my team that are have been putting a wiki up for me. And what I've been doing is just creating like a document for each book where I have a timeline and details and that kind of thing. And I send it to them and they put it up on the wiki. And I might say to them, hey, like, what was that magic system's name in The High Priest Daughter? And it ended with A-N. And they'll like go look for it or McKenna will just do a vellum search for me or, you know, so when I sort of need to track of that stuff, I, I just kind of call on other members of my team to help me. But we've also like kind of so through the wiki, we're starting to create like a resource that I can kind of have access to all those. And then I'm trying to create a more internal one that I can have the other details we're not putting on the wiki. Um, it's a slow process when you don't start it from the beginning. <laughs> like it's, it's a lot to like update that and keep it going. And that just feels overwhelming to me. So I never did it. And now I just have like on one of my screens, my computer, I have four PDFs pulled up where I've been fact checking as I write my next book, I've been fact checking for my other series. So it's not my cleanest system. <laughs> Okay. I just always fast. I know some people still keep it all in their head and they have no intention of doing otherwise. Yeah. yeah My I know memory somebody, is Swiss cheese. So I know somebody who um, she has a company and that's some of what she does is she will read the books and make your Bible. Oh, that's awesome. 
Yeah. yeah. That's kind of what, that's what Mike and Evan, my two guys are doing. Mike yeah. is one of my books. And well, and, and Weber has an entire fandom organization called Bu Peers that, or Bureau Nine or something like that. They're going to hunt me down and, and, and slaughter me because I never remember their names. <laughs> I, I don't. And I look at them and I'm like, why? I, I'll run into them and they're like, well, I'm in this group. And I'm like, why does that sound familiar? <laughs> and they're like, seriously? And they get all upset. And I'm like, it's kind of like you, you react react to, hard. <laughs> it's kind of like your reaction when I remind you that Pern is um fantasy. But uh, now you get to ask your uh, your Stop super the heresy. It is April 1st. Stop the heresy. So <laughs> so now it's it's your turn to ask your other favorite question, which she actually really likes this one. So I do really like this one. That's he likes to give them to me in groups and and balance them out. So <laughs> um so we all know that the world needs some consistency. So what sort of magic would you take from this and uh, keep for you in real life? Oh, like from my world, what magic? Yeah, would I like what magic? Like, is there a favorite spell? Like oh something? God. Honestly, any magic that cleans my house or makes dinner. Like <laughs> in, in a second, I would take all of that. <laughs> like... I don't even care about flying or transportation. Bianca has a flying carpet that might be cool, but I think I just want something to make dinner and clean my house. I totally get it. <laughs> so is there like, cause you mentioned magic. So do you have multiple magic systems in this universe? Yeah. So in my universe, what basically how it's, it's a little bit like Zeusy in that I have goddesses and then I have gods and they're on different sides of the, of this entire world. And Alcara is where the goddesses kind of rule. The goddesses basically spend their time creating magic, which shows up in grimoires and they allow the witches to use their magic systems. So the magic system in the network series is the Marin magic system. The magic system for the dragons is, is like the dragon master magic basically. And so Bianca, like, and Isadora and Sana can pull from different grimoires and learn the the spells and incantations and be able to do those magic systems. The gods rule over the mortals who can't, don't have any magical ability. Um, so that hijinks ensue. So there really is different magical systems. So there might be a grimoire that shows up that's all about gardening. House cleaning. <laughs> or laundry or or like transportation or something more complicated like transformation you know there's there's different types of magical spells so that you know you can be you can have familiar magic that everyone kind of knows and expects or you might find this random grimoire somewhere and then learn this magic no one knows about and have like an advantage yeah that's awesome how, now how would you abuse it if you had it in real life how would i abuse it yeah the magic the magic oh, probably i would i would totally like move randomly without being in the room stuff on my sister's desk because she's super ocd about it like i don't know how that picture moved to the opposite side of your desk <laughs> yeah, i think oh gosh i don't even i haven't i don't even think i've thought of using magic i would honestly probably some somehow again just like use it to my advantage so i don't have to do much <laughs> like as much around my house i have to think about that question that's a good one i think it would be fun to play pranks on my husband um, kind of like you were talking about with your with your sister i think that that could be kind of fun or just <laughs> like travel all over the world in a matter of seconds so put my kids to bed and then go lay on the beach for an hour to come back <laughs> that'd be pretty awesome now if he if you he never come magic, back 
if he had the magic, would he play pranks on you in return? Oh, he'd be gone. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he would totally play the pranks on me if he had magic. It would be a disaster. And yeah, I think he'd play pranks on a bunch of his friends too, I can imagine. All right, so, uh, hmm? Go ahead. I was going to remind you, this is your most favorite question. We yes. have this for you. Making the fantastic creatures. Like, how did you go about the concept behind how you made them? Was it whole cloth? Did you just kind of stare at chameleons? I don't know. What? <laughs> um, the dragons, I mean, it's, it's, it's super anticlimactic, but I think there was just a lot of staring at my computer. <laughs> like, well, crap, I need a creature that sort of serves this purpose and, and is fearsome in this way. And there's a creature I made called the Balua, and it's an eye, it doesn't have eyes and it lives in the trees. The dirt burns its skin and it looks really mottled and it has like purple, like acidic spit. The Balua came about like in stages. So I was like, well, I'm just going to, I normally go to Google and I do English to Latin. And then I just type in different English words and see what the Latin um, counter is. And then I'll just form the word off that. So all of my dragons end in IS, like Latin words. Uh, so that's kind of how I would name the creatures. And then I would just kind of come up with them as the story progressed. So I had this Balua. And then as I wrote, they were just always in the trees. And so I decided to make a rule that they couldn't touch the ground. And then I had one fall and touch the ground and it was like burning. The dirt was burning its skin. The dragons, um, I sort of played around with just different ideas and honestly, Pinterest, like I go to Pinterest and find different dragon pictures. And like, I like that about that dragon. I don't like that. And so I kind of sketched out like a rough dragon sketch for what I thought and how I wanted to make them different after I was like reading all the different books of dragons, you know, how could I make them different in my world? So a lot of it was just, I call it layering. I say that writing is just like an onion. Like there are just layers to everything and, and it all just kind of builds over time and, mm -hmm. and layer after layer after layer. So even my magical creatures are that way. I, I start with a basic idea and then I just develop it in form as I'm, as I'm writing or like thinking it out or just staring into the distance. I think a lot of the time I'll be, cause I work from my kitchen table most of the time. Um, I'll just be like staring at something. And I think sometimes I do it for an awkward amount of time because <laughs> my husband's like used to it. So he, he'll leave me and like, it'll be like, I'll come out of it. And it'll be like 20 minutes later or I'm like, Oh my gosh, I figured it out. And I'll just be all excited. Or sometimes I'll just like walk around my kitchen Island as I'm just like thinking, but it's like awkward if other people are at my house. <laughs> They're like, is she okay? I can understand that. Yeah. I, I, I have done that with chemistry problems and, um, my son one time looked at me and he looked at actually his friend because they were over, they were playing and I'm doing homework and they, and I'm like, and I, I, I said something in lieu of a cuss word and my, he like looks over and my son just goes, she's just like that. <laughs> so you Thank mentioned you. that. <laughs> Thanks kid. Oh, that's I mean, my youngest thought I fought dinosaurs in the war. So, I mean, it could have been worse. That's How old do you think I am? But um, so you mentioned you sketched out the dragons when you were looking at the various Pinterest boards. Now, did you, when you say sketched out, do you mean like you actually art, like drew a picture or did you just sketch it in your mind with words? Oh, I just drew a very ugly, like, like, here's how tall the dragon would look in comparison to the witch. 
you know, like right. how do I measure that? And I want there to have like, okay, maybe there's like horns on the head, but it wasn't in depth. I just mostly was trying to just get a feel for what does this actually look like? And so how can I write these proportions, you know? So I, I typically have like witch height, like that dragon is like 12 witches from floor to top of the neck type thing. Um, so it was just a very rough, like akin to like stick figures drawing uh, and then just looking at the pictures and trying to figure out well, the males look like this, the females look like this. What, like, how can a lizard have a more feminine appearance? And what does a feminine appearance look like for a lizard, right? Is it the same as, like, are there parallels to humans? Like, the weird questions you would never think you have to figure out, right? Like, so weird. It's like, for a living? People think I'm crazy. Okay, what is the weirdest thing you have had to Google doing this? Probably. But you can admit on family friendly radio. Yeah. <laughs> Because um, <laughs> I will explain afterwards why I started giggling. And I'm blaming another author, Jennifer Blackwell. Because I know what the weirdest thing she's had to find, like Google and found. I think, I mean, it's probably just random stuff. Like, like how do you milk a goat? Or like, how to look that one up the other day. Like, what is that experience like? Or, or like different, like what do male dragons look like? I mean, I'm trying to remember what I typed in or what I would type in. Alli type in alligator. She, she, um, she writes urban fantasy and she had to do something involving dragons and um, alligators. Like she typed in alligators and she managed alligator attention, erection. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Family friendly radio, Saska. That was a medical term. That was a medical term. It's scientific. I have never had to do that one. So when the uh, when the I used to write at a coffee shop before all the apparently wall rather traumatizing. And um, they you can always tell where I'm writing by the names because it's like I'll look at what's around me. So when I was at the coffee shop, there's a lot of coffee names. I always fix that in post because it get like it made me want more coffee if I did that all the time. But uh, and my my first editor had sent me back a bunch of corrections. He like this is if you're fighting someone this way, this is not what would medically happen to the human body. So you need to do a little bit of research and get back. I'm like, well, my aunt's an ER nurse. Let me call her. So I'm sitting there at the Starbucks talking about what would happen if you cut off limbs and heads and stuff. And all the people are just slowly scooting away from me, and I didn't quite notice it. And the next thing I look up, and there's a police officer there, and he's like is there something you need to tell me, sir? And I'm like, oh, no, it's okay. No, no. I'm an author. And he's like, oh, okay. And apparently his wife wrote um, active romance novels. And he's like, if you're not on at least one government watch list, you're not doing it right as an author. <laughs> so, he, actually, so, like, he actually like approached you. Like he actually yeah, said- they called, the, they called the cops. They thought I was planning a murder. No way. That's <laughs> an awesome story. Yeah, it was, I it didn't even clue in like that was what was going on until afterwards. And I, I was calling my mom. I'm like, this guy interrupted my writing. So I'm like 500 words short because they thought you were planning a murder. Like, oh, <laughs> I was clueless. It went right over my head. You're like, oh, what? Is there something wrong with this conversation? <laughs> <laughs> but my, my husband is like, there, there will be times I'll look up and be like, I need to kill someone with a cudgel. <laughs> or, like I talked to him like, I need to kill this person or what's this? Or like, you know, I'll come up with some random question that he's like, what? Like, I'm like, don't ask. I, I had that happen with, uh, so we mentioned that There's Nick a is, a, is a- The don't ask, don't tell policy <laughs> that authors have. It has nothing to do with preferences of people and gender and, and everything to do with things like that. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I, we, when, uh, because Nick was a ranger and he was a sniper and he's a cop. So I've reached out to him a couple of times since we met him oh. for, for like knife fighting. I was, wait a minute. Am I helping you as an author or am I about to go to jail for helping you plan a murder? Because I kind of need to know what I'm packing for. <laughs> like, oh, no, I promise it's going in a book. I had, a, in one of my romance books, I have this like scene where like a police officer is talking to dispatch and my husband was working. And so I just like copied it and they sent it to him on Telegram. And I was like, tell me what you think. Like, does this. And so he's like critiquing it. I was like, no. Like, is this what a cop would say to dispatch? And like, how would dispatch respond? And he was like, oh yeah, no, that's good. Here, change it. <laughs> <laughs> I just I this random passage of a romance book. And I was like, what? Oh my gosh, it was awesome. Uh, <laughs> it, it's good that he's so um, on the spot with that. So uh, obviously this is winding down. We've been here for an hour. So is there anything that you want to tell us about Flame or the Dragon Master trilogy that we didn't ask you? I think the the cool thing about flame like if you're if your listeners are gonna go and read it um and i can i can give them like a special deal we'll set them up but i i love it when my readers actually clue into the deeper thematic elements that happen so just like in the network series when i realized i was processing my life like as this special forces wife and what that would entail i was doing it through my story i was also processing like a lot of things through flame flight and freedom that ended up speaking into like really deeper themes. My my FedEx guy is actually reading it right now. And every time he drops off my like blue apron box, he like goes into like all these themes that he's picking up on. And I've been shocked that he's actually nailing it like on the head. Like that was exactly what I wanted. So I think if you can go into it, just like thinking about that and kind of some deeper themes and themes and what they mean, the Dragon Master trilogy actually becomes this entirely different experience. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna name the themes because it's been different for depending on the person, but I think that's a really fun way to go into the book. I I will say I've been rereading a book series that I read as a teen, and uh, and it was an adult book series, but it's very different reading it as an adult. Like I have an entirely new perspective on it, but I'm also amazed at how much that series affected how I think about so many other things, and I never noticed. Yeah. So. Yeah. So with, with themes, there's there's the theme that whatever the author might have intended, and that maybe comes through, maybe doesn't if we did our job right. But then it always like you're meeting the, the reader halfway. So it's what they're bringing into it as well. Yeah. So it's always amazing, especially when because I was an English major in college and I heard some of those pretentious pre, uh, professors be like, no, he absolutely meant this. And these blue curtains meant blah. And I'm like, maybe he just liked the color blue and the curtains had to go there. You know, seriously. Seriously. Um, so I told you why my teacher wouldn't let me talk about the Oedipus Rex cycle, right? I told you that one. You can tell me why. I announced that it was the guy that, uh, that the author was just trying to get laid. Probably true, but <laughs> we're trying to keep this PG thirteen. We are trying so hard. <laughs> Somebody so, has to. <laughs> so how about this? So uh, are there are these books out in audio? Because that's mostly where I do my reading. I'm going to check Flame out. Yeah, yeah, you can actually get the Flame audiobook for free. If you want it, oh, sure. Yeah. And then, so rather than have um, to put something on the the website that might you know leak out, so how about this? If they reach out to you, because I'm going to list your contact information and say, hey, we heard about this book through this podcast appearance, then whatever deal you want to give them, you can surprise them, because obviously that could potentially change, and that that makes it easier on you. Does that work for you? Yeah, yeah, that's totally fine. Just tell them to reach out, and we'll we'll hook them up with an ebook. We just told them. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how that works. All right. All right. <laughs> Speaking of telling them, can you tell us, Katie, how listeners and readers and viewers can find you? Yeah. So if you want to look at all my fantasy books, that's katiecrossbooks.com. You can get them all there. They're normally like 2 to $3 off what they are on the retailer because you can buy them directly through me or we're on any retailers. And if you want to get a free copy of Flame, just email me at kcrosswriting at gmail.com or katie at kcrosswriting.com. JR. Muted boomer. I know, I know. Uh, I give Walt a hard time about that all the time and he's gonna he's not gonna let me forget it. All right. So you can find us on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters tack and tack blades. Anchor.fm backslash blasters tack and tack blades. Our Twitter is twitter.com backslash sf underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. Sometimes we even check it. We have a Blasters and Blades podcast group on Facebook at facebook.com backslash a Blasters and Blades podcast. And if you want to throw some funds in the tip jar to keep the lights on, it's buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Handley. And remember to mention in the comments, it's for the podcast. Wow, I saw you dancing. I mean, do I need a little bit of music when I'm reading that? I'm not. I'm agreeing with you. I'm editorializing. I don't know. Something. All um, right. Seeing if anybody notices the weird things I do in the background. Um, thank you for just spending your precious time with us. On behalf of um, our comic guy, Nick Garber, J.R. Hanley, I'm Seska, and this was the Blasters and Blade podcast. We will be back next time where we'll indulge our... Our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, fantasy, magic, and all things that go boom. All right.